For me, listening is so powerful because it allows us to be curious, to explore the mystery of another person, and to learn from their experience. When we're willing to make space to listen to someone else, we're communicating to that person, you are a complex and valuable human being who has a lot to offer. And I see that, and I want to know more and learn from you. Would you give me the privilege of discovering who you are? Welcome to the protagonistas. Okay, so here I am with Minnie Palmer. I'm super excited to chat with you. So actually, Minnie and I met at a Writers of Color conference this year already. Or yeah, in March. Okay, in March. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so we met at a Writers of Color conference in March. And um, that was such a good space to just yeah, dialogue about what it's like to be a woman of color writer and just get some good advice on, you know, yeah. all sorts of things pertaining to writing. So I was really thankful that I was able to meet you. And we had Same some good, here. Yeah, we had some great conversations. So I'm really excited to be able to have you guys hear from Minnie. She is a spiritual director. She's an Indian American woman. Uh, she was a missionary for a few years in India mm-hmm. as well. Uh, she's a mom, a wife, anything else? A writer. Um, a human being. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. A human being. Um, so, so yeah. So, today we're we're just going to chat about um, your life and, yeah, what God's been doing in it. So, really excited. So, if you want to give a little bit of your own introduction, yeah. uh, a little bit of your background, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kat, for having me. And it was a pleasure to meet you, too, at the Writers' Conference. And, yeah, just really honored to be here and be able to share with you and and the people who are listening. So um, my name is Minnie Palmer, and I practice spiritual direction and um, enjoy listening to people and hearing about their stories and if or how they're experiencing God in uh, their daily life. Mm -hmm. I also enjoy writing. And basically documenting my experiences of how I hear God in my own life and writing down the lessons that he shares with me Mm -hmm. Um, for my own ability to remember. But also I have noticed that as I write them down, that he allows me to go deeper into reflecting on those experiences. And I often gain new insights Mm -hmm. as I write it down. So it's helpful as a discernment and Mm. spiritual discipline practice as Mm. well yeah and I realized it's also another safe space where I can use my voice uh, because when I am writing that way for just him and me before I ever decide to share it with anybody else uh, it's the most unfiltered and safe space Mm. for me to use my voice and I've been amazed at what comes out in those times and it's really freeing because I know that he's not going to be overwhelmed by it Mm. and Mm. can handle whatever comes out and so it it's empowering for me too Mm. i love that yeah as i was reading some of the stuff that you had sent me um some of the chapters that you've written things like that and just hearing or just kind of seeing or reading how you talk about listening and how god speaks to you and Man, I was just like, that is, that's great. Because I, I know uh, when I first got here, you were talking about how you, you were doing like a devotion that said the importance of doing rather mm-hmm. than just like listening. Obviously, there's, it goes both ways. Yeah. But I was like, I am such a doer. I never <laughs> listen. Like, I was like, 
so I felt really, um, yeah, moved by reading those things. I was like, I need to start listening better. I was like, because I'm just like, all right, God, this is what I'm thinking. All right, cool. All right, let's go. You know, like, I don't even. Um, but anyway, yeah. I thought that was really great. So I want to ask you more about that in a little mm-hmm. bit, about listening. But first, um, I'd love to ask you. So in one of the chapters that I, I read, you talked about living in a thin space that you, and you got this from a, from Celtic Christianity. That's right. So if you want to talk a little bit about living in that thin space, both spiritually um, and also just as your unique position as a woman of color, what is that thin space like for you? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So I first learned about thin spaces when I was doing my training for spiritual direction. And it is this concept from Celtic Christianity uh, where they believed that thin spaces were these places where on earth, where the line between heaven and earth was so thin, Mm -hmm. it was easier to feel God's presence there. Mm -hmm. And uh, for them, a lot of those places were in nature, Mm -hmm. which is totally understandable. I think Mm -hmm. that's a major pathway that a lot of people connect to God through is in nature totally, yeah. and um, and the beauty and awe mm-hmm. that's easily felt there. But um, as I learned about that concept and, and thought about it, I remember something in my soul immediately perked up and paid attention. Mm. And as I reflected on it, I realized, oh, I myself feel called to be a thin space. Mm. Like, I think that's part of my mission on this earth is mm. to be this thin space where it's easy for people to feel God's presence Mm, when they're with me. But then as I thought about it more, I realized I think we're all meant to be Mm. thin spaces Mm. where each of us, for each of us in our life, Mm. whatever contours or details that shape that or that that looks like, that we would be able to feel and sense the presence of God with us in real ways, Mm. Um, whether it's through what we're hearing or seeing or feeling or thinking about. And so I just really loved that concept and was drawn to it. And that's actually what I decided to organize my book of spiritual essays around Mm. that I'm working on now is living in the thin space because I felt like that was what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that God has made everyone capable of doing mm-hmm. if they're open and they want to, Right, right. you know, um, yeah. I think everyone has the freedom to choose mm-hmm. whether that's something they want or not. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been a really important theme spiritually. I think specifically as a woman of color, it's another detail in the rest of my life, mm-hmm. that there's no one quality that defines me, mm-hmm. but that it's one part of the whole picture of who I am. And so I think um, as a woman of color, there have been times where I might have felt um, awakened mm-hmm. when I realized or learned things that I wasn't aware of before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Like, I remember being in grad school Mm. and um, I was studying international health and our class was watching a video on um, FGM, female genital mutilation. Mm. And they were talking about the plight of the girl child around the world and how um, girls often have less access to education and other resources, food. And I remember thinking up until that moment, I had never understood 
the dialogue of why women felt Mm -hmm. like they didn't have the same opportunities as men because Mm -hmm. um up until that time I had felt like like in our household I was treated in a lot of ways equally to my brother education was presented as important for both of us Mm -hmm. by our parents um and I hadn't felt discriminated against specifically Mm -hmm. because I was female Mm -hmm. but then learning about the situations of girls and women in other parts of the world yeah i realized oh there there's a reason this dialogue is happening mm-hmm. i was just not aware right before right. because i hadn't felt personally affected by mm-hmm. it and so it was a really helpful awakening because then i could be more open and have more compassion and awareness mm-hmm. of what other people's situations are like even if i hadn't experienced it myself yet right. And I think in other ways since then, um, I have continued to be open to being awakened Mm -hmm. and made aware of ways that other people's experiences are different than mine and how I can walk with them in that. Right. That's so good. Yeah. That makes me think of, I think, and I think that that's so important how, how you mentioned, like I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the struggles of other people because it obviously didn't personally affect you and I know that that's something like as I was uh, you know in as I once I started seminary and mm-hmm. as, a, as a Latino woman in a very white setting and once I'm you know I'm starting to get into this yeah. and people are telling me well like you know women women are not oppressed like you guys are not you know like they kept telling me that and I was like right it's not in the way you know it's not in a way that you might think when yeah. you envision oppression or it might not be but just the fact that like I'm here and I'm not free to pursue whatever I feel like God is calling me to pursue right. or just the fact that I'm not you know and yeah. I kept saying that like just because like, you don't understand mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's not a reality for me you That's know right and every time I would talk to people about it um, I remember I spoke to this one woman and she's a nurse right and she um, you know a nurse is a very female dominated field yeah. and like there's a lot of women in, in, in nursing and I remember talking to her about this and she was like, but Kat, like, who cares? Like, why are you making such a big deal out of this? And I was like, like, I'm the one in seminary. Like, yeah. I'm in this male-dominated field. Right. Like, you're, you're nursing. Like, you may not, you know. Yeah. So then that was very important for me. Um, and, and also, it did the same thing for me. Like, that helped me realize that, sure, this is what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. But other people, like you said, like, just because there are other issues that I haven't gone through doesn't right. mean that it's not a reality or... That's you know, right. Um, so I think that that's, um, that's very important, mm-hmm. right, that you had that personal experience, like what, what you call it, an awakening. I think that that is – that's beautiful and that's really important. And, um, and, and it's open doors for you, obviously, to be a spiritual director and to mm-hmm. allow yourself to be able to have, like you said, compassion for right. people. So actually, if you want to talk to me a little bit about just your what you do as a spiritual director, how you got into sure. it. I know you said that you took some classes and mm-hmm. that's how you got into the thin space. So that's where – that's where discovered it. Yeah, yeah, right. So if you want to talk to me a little bit about, um, yeah, uh, listening and spiritual mm-hmm. direction and um, all those wonderful things that you're involved with. Yeah, thanks, Kat. So I think listening is just one of the qualities that God built into my soul um, in who he made me. So I, I've kind of been hardwired to listen all my life. And, mm-hmm. and from a young age, I could sense that I had this gift because whether it was people I knew deeply or total strangers, I noticed that people often felt the safety to pour out their deepest stories with me um, or their most vulnerable stories. 
so I just had this sense like they must feel safe with me mm-hmm. because they're willing to share this with me. And I always felt like that is a treasure mm-hmm. that I want to honor mm-hmm. and protect because I knew like people's lives are so precious right. and so are their stories. Mm-hmm. So if they're willing to share that with me, mm-hmm. I'm honored and I want to respect that. And so I always had this sense of, and I want to keep it safe, so I'm never going to share it with somebody else. You know, this was before I became a director or, or thought about confidential confidentiality or things like that. It just felt like, no, part of the sacredness of people's stories is you don't share them without their permission, you know. And then my husband likes to joke I have the gift of making people cry, like, in a good way. Because I think when people do feel safe, mm-hmm. some they feel able to let down. Yeah. And... Like, they don't have to maybe hold up that facade they do when they're with the rest of the world. Right. Because I've never felt called to judge somebody, especially Mm -hmm. when they're being completely honest and open with me. Because that takes so much courage. Yeah. Yeah. And so I see my own spiritual director, and one of the things she told me was that what's deep in me cries out to what's deep in other people Mm, and that's what they're responding to you know and there's that verse in the bible deep cries out to Mm. deep and I feel like that's the truth I think that is part of being the thin space is when people feel that it is completely safe for them to be honest Mm. then they can allow themselves to be thin and vulnerable Mm. and share what's really going on for them Mm -hmm. and I think for all of us, that's what we ultimately hope for or long for. Yeah. To be able to freely express ourselves and know that we won't be abandoned Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of it. Right. Um, And we might even be more loved because Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's, um, I don't know if contagious is the right word, but, you know, when you allow someone or when you give someone the space and the freedom to be vulnerable and... For their deepest parts to come mm-hmm. out and it's almost like they want to turn around and and it's it causes a sort of chain reaction yeah. right like when you do that because yeah i mean once you realize how healing that is like mm-hmm. you want to and obviously not everybody but there's something in you wants to be that or do that again or be right. that for someone else or connect with someone in that level mm-hmm. again and so I think that that is um yeah it's important to almost start that chain reaction right yeah. to be that person that can do that for people because that is rare yeah thank you for that thanks Kat yeah so now I want to talk a little bit about so you spent some time in India Mm -hmm. uh, as a missionary and I read your chapter on that just on your experiences and it was about the voices that shape us right yeah the voices that shape us okay Mm -hmm. but I was just so incredibly moved and just enthralled by everything i mean i Thank reread you. it this morning at like five o'clock in the morning and I'm like, <laughs> like because i knew i wanted to chat with you today right so um but yeah it, it's just so wonderful so i want to start with asking you about so i'm gonna kind of go ahead and read a couple of quotes that you say and then sure. we'll talk about it mm-hmm. So you did talk about like sort of, I guess your first, I don't want to say your first shocking moment, but like the first thing that stood out had to do with just like general missions and a colonialist mindset. And so I'm going to go ahead and quote you. You say that um, they, which I'm assuming missionaries, often Mm -hmm. want to share this message, uh, you know, of Jesus or share the message of Jesus, 
uh, with those they meet on the field, but it is also important to ask what the local people are hearing or feeling called to. If we do not make space for God's voice to be heard in them, we perpetuate the colonialist mentality that we are the only empowered messengers of God's will. And like I said earlier, uh, this reminds me of my work with Awadita Theology. Mm -hmm. And for those who have heard this podcast before or follow me on Twitter or anything, you know that that's something that I talk about a lot. But it's the idea, uh, and I'll just give like a quick, you know, two second synopsis on Awadita Theology. But it's just this idea that, and I guess it's surrounded on this general question of what if the greatest theologians the world has the the world has ever known are those whom the world wouldn't consider theologians at all? Yeah. And so it's the idea that our grandmothers or the the poor marginalized women of color in our midst, like they are theologians in their own right. Like mm-hmm. they are able to theologize. They are able to, you know, articulate their their faith. And it might not sound the way that a Western you know educated um, mindset might think is articulating or theologizing right but you know we've received so many of us have received informal theological or spiritual formation Mm -hmm. and theological insight from people who are uneducated or poor or marginalized right I know that you know that's how I experience a lot of my spiritual formations from Mm -hmm. my grandmother you know an immigrant woman who um, you know nobody would consider her a theologian Mm -hmm. but she is yeah Um, and so that's a little bit of what I'm trying to reclaim is that idea that no, like abuelitas are theologians and we need to listen to them. Um, and yeah, so I thought of that when you, when you said this, um, because it's true, like, and actually I have another little quote here that I'll, I'll read Mm -hmm. so then, so you can speak more about it. But you say here that we stop listening to the people we are serving and deprive them of the opportunity to practice hearing from God themselves. Mm -hmm. They are not encouraged to discern what God is doing around them and practice using their authority to decide how they will respond to what they see and hear. We miss out on hearing about the longings and passions that God has put in their hearts, and we miss the chance to encourage them to pursue those passions in ways that bring life to them and others. Or those we are serving may bury their own longings and adopt our agendas for them because we supposedly know better, which is so powerful. So if you want to talk to me about that, what was that like? Um, and also I do want to talk about you being an Indian American woman going Mm -hmm. to India, but yeah, just initially that idea of like, well, we are coming here and we possess the knowledge. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Thanks for asking about that cat. I think I had, I had kind of lived under that structure in Mm -hmm. America before going to India. Right. And I had just taken it as that's the way things are done. Right. But now being a part of a team and going going overseas to share about my faith with others i realized i don't feel comfortable coming in and telling somebody this is the way your spirituality needs to look mm-hmm. or this is what you need to do whether it's about spirituality or something else without first making the space to Mm -hmm. hear them share where they're coming from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what they're looking for right and what are their longings or desires right and i think i realized oh i 
want to focus on listening first before I try to tell other people what to do. And I think that's something that was helpful for me is I've never really been comfortable telling other people what to do in my life. Like it's just never felt right to me. And so, so being with them, I, I just wanted to get to know people for Mm -hmm. who they were Mm -hmm. first and then hear what they were looking for. And, but I remember seeing other models of sharing faith being practiced, you know, like, and I think something that our team did try to do was to, we had been trained in like going into a community and asking them questions, you know, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't totally like, we're just going to come in and tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, I just sensed in the structure, there's this sense of, we know better. Right. And it, didn't sit right with me because I didn't feel like that's not necessarily true, you Mm -hmm. know? And I want to, I don't think enough attention is played, is placed on what the locals know. Right. Yeah. And, uh, their life experience here. Mm -hmm. So I really felt like part of what gave me the freedom to write that even though once I wrote it and read it I was like oh my gosh I don't know if this is going to get published right. yeah <laughs> is but that's the truth mm-hmm. of what I was seeing and feeling and I really want to offer that of I want people to pause and think about what do you feel like you know mm-hmm. and can you make space for what other people know And is it okay to ask questions Mm -hmm. and learn and be curious and be open to the fact that you may be proved wrong? Mm. And is that an option or are you okay with that? Because if not, I don't think we can do this work with integrity. Mm -hmm. And how will people there know how to listen to God themselves? Yeah. If they can't be trusted, like they can't trust themselves in, yeah, like how are they going to, yeah, it's. Yeah, to, to listen and share, this is what I feel like I'm hearing. Right, right. Versus, oh, we're going to study this passage together and I'm going to tell you what it means. Right, and I'm going to tell you, yeah, what to hear, what to yeah. listen for, yeah. Like there is no like, you know, you're in this, you're a part of this too, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, you might ask, what does that say to you? Mm-hmm. You know, but then if you already know, but I, this is what I want them to get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're still uh, putting your own agenda alongside theirs. Exactly. And so I remember I, I recently read the narrative of Sojourner Truth. Mm-hmm. And there's a part in it where she says, I had asked adults to read the Bible to me because she couldn't read. Mm-hmm. And she said she got frustrated because they would read it once, mm-hmm. you know, exactly as it was written. But then when she would ask them to repeat it because she wanted to keep reflecting on it, they would tell her, mm-hmm. oh, this is what it means. Oh and gosh, she said, yeah. I stopped asking adults to read it to me because I didn't want them to tell me what they thought it meant. Yeah. I just wanted to keep hearing it so I could form my own mm-hmm. ideas with God of what it meant. Right. So then she would ask children to read it to wow. her. And she said the children would just read it to her mm-hmm. as it was written. Mm-hmm. And she was able to form her own ideas about so what good. God was saying through it. And I, I thought that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is an example of that, like making space for the person to have their engagement with God and see what comes out of that and be able to express it freely. Right. 
And maybe it's not what you thought or expected. Right. Or even necessarily agree with, but that's what's true. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if we're so focused on our own story and we put it on them, mm-hmm. they might accept it, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily what's true for them. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that yeah, was... that's so powerful. Wow, I hadn't heard that um, Sojourner Truth. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's sure. really powerful. Okay, so I also want to ask you... Um, more personal like what was going on and happening inside of you mm-hmm. um obviously that is personal that was happening inside of you but you talk about and which i thought was so profound the idea or the fact that you are an indian american woman so your parents immigrated correct here yeah so talk they a little did. bit about that first and then i can go ahead and ask oh sure where i'm coming from yeah and um i forgot to mention this before cat but if we can go back to that theology thing or what it means to be a theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have another idea I wanted to share, yeah, which was, ahead. you know, you mentioned uh, you talk a lot about Abuelita theology mm-hmm. and how, you know, our grandmothers or Abuelitas, these are people who maybe people don't consider theologians mm-hmm. because maybe they don't have that PhD behind their name, right. but they still have experiences exactly. and Lived wisdom experience. to offer. Mm-hmm about God and what that means to them, Mm -hmm. who he is to them. And so that reminded me of a conversation I had recently with somebody where they said, you know, I'm not a theologian, Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily feel like I can speak on Mm -hmm. this issue. Mm -hmm. And I remember I I shared with them, okay, theology means the study of God, Mm -hmm. right? And it's fine if you don't want to use that word for yourself, theologian. Mm. But I said, it's important for you to know, nevertheless, you do have Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings about God. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't want you to give power to that word Mm -hmm. and then say, but that's not for me Mm. because you don't feel like you fit the definition of a theologian because the truth is all of us are. Right. And that affects the way you live. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the reasons I admire what you're talking about and also shared that in the book about the importance of making space for other people's voices is that everyone has thoughts and feelings and experiences about God. Mm -hmm. And not everyone may have gone to seminary, but that doesn't disqualify them. Exactly. Totally. From sharing their truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is the crux of what, what I want to push as mm-hmm. far as Abuelita theology goes. So it's funny, you said, um, you were talking about theology, the study of God. I was, I was in a, I, I'm in a, like a little political theology group and we were having this discussion recently and someone brought up a quote or I'm not sure if it was a quote or just something, you know, that we were talking about, but it was that we, we tend to say that like theology is the, uh, I guess we could say, yeah, theology is the study of God, but it's more so theology is what we think we study about God, you know what I mean? Because there is no, like we don't definitively Mm -hmm. know, right? Right. So it's it's what we think we know about God. Yeah. Theology is a lot of people's ideas of what, I mean, you know, we say like, yes, we have the Bible and, and that's what we go by, but as we all know, you know, five different people can read the Bible, I get five different things. And right. so they're all theologizing, yeah. but it's all, you know, and it's whoever you decide that you want to align with, exactly. you know, it's, it's what 
when you're doing theology, you are just, it's, it's what we think we know. And it's what we like, what, what they think, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so this all goes into the idea that we are all, like you said, theologizing. Um, yeah. Whether you have a seminary degree or not. And I think one of the things that I've, you know, being that I'm, I'm about to finish two seminary mm-hmm. degrees, one of the things that I've learned is that the longer that I do this and the more that I learn, I can get a third, fourth, fifth degree and I'll literally know less because yeah. all that means is I'm just studying more and more different people and what right. more and more of them are saying mm-hmm. and what the history of these people have right. said. And, you know, and so it's funny because I'm like, I literally know less mm-hmm. now than I did yeah. five years ago. And that's just because, yeah, all of it is just we're studying what people have said about God. At exactly. The end of the day, right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad you shared that. Because my hope is that when people realize it's all different people's ideas and thoughts about God, that that would make them feel more welcomed and invited to make space for their own. Right. You know, that even if someone else doesn't make space for your thoughts or feelings or views about God, if you could at least do that for yourself. Right. Yeah, that's good that it would give more people access to God or how they feel about him in their lives, Mm -hmm. you know? And that having a degree or whether you've attended seminary or not would not be the deciding line of whether Mm -hmm. you can think about or talk about God and what, whether or not that's important to you in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that you said that because I think it's totally true that at the end of the day, these are all ways people have thought about God. Mm-hmm. And it's totally fine to use your discernment mm-hmm. to see which ideas feel like they align with what you feel called to or not. Mm-hmm. That is what formation is. Right, right. I wouldn't want anybody to miss out on the opportuni- opportunity to do that if they wanted to mm-hmm. because they felt disqualified or it felt like they needed mm. a certain level of education or experience mm-hmm. to be able to think or talk about that because that is absolutely not the truth. Right, right. So good. Yeah, thank you for, for circling back to that. Yeah, <laughs> Because sure. I think that's so important. Yeah. So yeah, so going back to what I was saying before, so mm-hmm. if you want to share a little bit about just your experience, um, if you want to talk a little bit about your family's history, I guess. and, and Sure. Um, how you ended up in Mumbai, mm-hmm. and um, and then from there we can talk about just that sort of wrestling you had with God and yourself and, and your identity mm-hmm. and yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah thanks Kat. So I was born in Kerala, India. It's mm-hmm. this state on the southwestern coast of India, and the legend is when Jesus sent out the t- twelve apostles that Thomas sailed to the southwest coast of India. Mm-hmm and uh, landed there and and Christianity spread inland from there. And so the place where he landed is the modern day state of Kerala, which is Mm. where my family is from Mm. and where I was born. So it actually has this like really obscure (laughs) um, history and all of like Christian history, you know. Um, So a lot of people don't realize like Christianity was present even before the British missionaries came. And there's not a lot of Christians in India, but the majority of the Christian population there is does live in South India. So that's where my parents were born and grew up, and then that's where I was born, and then they immigrated to America when I was 10 months old. Okay. 
so I grew up in Southern California and I'm grateful my parents moved here because I think I was made for coastal living. Yeah. <laughs> I was born on the coast in India and I, oh, yeah. I liked growing up on the coast here yeah. and, and the temperate climate. <laughs> so, um, I'm from Miami, so I totally Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. And uh, I grew up here and um, really had a great experience growing up in my own family. I had a little brother that's born here in California and uh, cousins that I grew up with. And so I, I felt like really loved and comfortable in my nuclear and extended family. And growing up, mostly we went to American churches. So I actually, and then we lived in a suburb. There were maybe like four or five other Indian kids in my mm. class in high school. Mm. And I remember, like, my uncle and aunt were the ones who sponsored us to come from India, and they worked with international students. My uncle ministered to international students here in America, and so they would have these different meetings, and we would go. And so I was used to growing up around people from all different cultures. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I didn't have a lot of experience just being around Indian people all the Mm -hmm. time, and... I remember like we would visit Indian churches sometimes for Mm -hmm. different functions Mm -hmm. and I would, you know, just try to be open and friendly and get Mm -hmm. to know people. But um, it's like anything else where if people have known each other for a long time, like groups or cliques have formed and it's kind of hard to break into that. Mm -hmm. So I think I felt like a little rejection Mm -hmm. or or exclusion like trying to come in and make friends and feeling like it wasn't really working as a kid and and I think also just noticing a difference in values sometimes Mm -hmm. feeling like maybe I didn't always measure up you know Mm -hmm. um because often people ask like what are you studying or you know that it can feel kind of status driven Mm -hmm. um like caring about how much money you have or Mm -hmm. things like that or what kind of clothes you're wearing and I didn't really care about any of that stuff Mm -hmm. and so um so I kind of felt out of place Mm -hmm. and then it was okay because I wasn't in those situations a lot Mm -hmm. and then I remember I went to college and I felt like God might be inviting me to try to connect with my own culture again so I went to a couple of like Indian Student Association meetings in college and a couple of different functions and I just remember again feeling like I was getting that clicky feeling where mm-hmm. I'm trying to be open and make friends but I don't really feel like I fit in yeah. so then I just said okay well I tried God <laughs> you know and I'm right, kind of yeah. done and so um, then I finished college went to grad school and when I was in grad school there was this uh, one weekend I went went home to visit my parents and they had cable so I was watching tv and I was watching BET actually (laughs) um and there was this show that world vision was they were actually interviewing this world vision project and I forget which country in Africa but they were working with HIV prevention in that country and there was a banner that went across the bottom of the screen that's said by 2020 or something a third of 15 year olds in this country will uh, be HIV positive and I remember I just started weeping because I felt like these are kids 15 Mm. years old and they probably got it from their parents Mm. and they are 
about to lose their future mm-hmm. through no fault of their own. Right. And that was the first time I thought about doing international missions, Cat. Mm-hmm. Like before that, I wasn't really interested. And so I asked God, like, is there something you would want me to do mm-hmm. about this or, or some way you would want me to help? And at the time, I had gotten an inter- internship at this local county health department in the specifically in the HIV and STD prevention program and I was doing health education with that so I asked God would you want me to do something with that and I didn't hear a specific answer but I just felt called to explore it more and pursue it so that was when I first had the thought maybe I could do international missions you know and then after grad school I I graduated I got a job and then I met my husband during that time and I was learning more about missions and um, he had been a missionary and I just wanted to hear his experience of growing up here Mm -hmm. and then going to another country and what Mm -hmm. that was like and then we ended up getting to know each other and liking each other (laughs) and getting married and I remember after we were married, um, we were both praying about where to go. Mm -hmm. And so we prayed together and then we took some time apart to pray. And then as I was listening to God on my own, asking him, because my husband had said he was open to going to Africa with me. And so we were trying to decide between Africa and India. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening, I felt God ask me a question. Mm -hmm. And it was how are you going to go to Africa and teach other people to reconcile themselves to each other and to me if you haven't reconciled yourself to your own culture? Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, <laughs> and as soon as I heard it, I knew he's right. Mm-hmm. He's totally right. I I don't know how to be with mm-hmm. my own culture. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt him showing me, you can go to Africa if you want, I'm not going to force you to mm. make a choice. Right. But you won't be the person I want you to be mm. when you get there. But if you go to India mm. and let me teach you about how to forgive and be reconciled to your own people, mm. then you will be the person mm. I want you to be. Mm. And I felt him saying, you know, like I'm not saying now, I'm not saying no forever. Right. But if you want to know what my best is for you now, mm this is the direction I'm showing you. Mm. And, but then again, Kat, I totally felt him saying, it's your choice. Mm. I'm not going to make you choose something you don't want to. Like I felt total freedom, but I also felt total clarity. Like if I trust that God knows what's best for me, I know which direction I'm being called in. And honestly, even though I knew it would kick my butt spiritually, Um, and emotionally (laughs) but even though I knew it's probably going to be really hard I felt like I want to Mm -hmm. be that person Mm -hmm. who he's showing me so I'm willing to go and do it Mm -hmm. and so that's why Mm -hmm. I chose to go to India wow yeah so talk to me a little bit about that experience just Mm -hmm. um being reconciled to your people or, or starting that process or that journey of, you know, feeling called to do that. And I know in that chapter you talked about the, I guess, the wrestling or the tension between looking like everybody but not yeah. necessarily speaking their language or understand or being a, a part of their culture mm-hmm. and how you were ignored even by yeah. the locals and even some of your team members. So if you right. want to just share just that journey. Yeah, so... 
So going there and being the only Indian person on our team, when we, like, we had been trained to, you know, be as culturally sensitive as, as we could when we were there and try to fit in as much as possible with the local people. So that meant we we all wore Indian clothes and um, were learning the language to connect as best we could with the, the people in our neighborhood. And so... Um, and the method of language learning we had learned was to was community based, like getting a local partner to help you and practice having conversations, and then going out into your neighborhood and making friends and practicing with different people in the community. So we all got the same training, and then we get there and and we go out. And I remember we would go out together, and you know the people there were so excited to get to know the people on our team and meet them. And for a lot of them, because we were living in a poor neighborhood, many of them had never traveled outside of like Mumbai, let alone the country or internationally. And so that might be the first time for a lot of people there that they're seeing a white person in person. And so it's kind of the equivalent of meeting a celebrity, you know, Um, and uh, it's totally understandable. Everybody has the experience of being starstruck, right? Mm -hmm. So... I totally got that, but then it was just such a contrast between the way that my teammates would be received, you know, with welcome and excitement and honor, wow. like, oh, wow, you know, you you came from America, what's that like? And like, you're here with us and tell us what you're doing here. And then I would be there and like, nobody would talk to me. <laughs> and... So even though I understood and got it, honestly, oh, it's yeah. still hard to go through the experience of it. And oh, I yeah. felt pretty sad and lonely. And, you know, I mean, from the first time to like we were there almost two years, all the times that happened during those two years, it felt very isolating right. and lonely because you start to feel invisible. Yeah. And I remember really struggling with loneliness mm-hmm. and And then also I think it was hard because sometimes teammates could make unhelpful comments Mm -hmm. of like, well, maybe if you just did did this more, Mm -hmm. you know, or did this differently. Mm -hmm. But I realized I'm not them. I'm not I'm not a white person. So I'm not going to be the star. Like I'm not given the automatic welcome they are because I am a different person. Right. But I think for a while, I kind of believed those lies that mm. if I just did something differently, mm. then I too could get the same kind of response right. or reaction. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't just then, yeah. you know, like some like um some of the local people, like I remember this local woman being like, it's interesting because I would get contradictory mm. advice. You know, she said, oh, they're so like energetic and outgoing. How come you're so quiet? Right. Mm. And then I remember another time, like, I took the initiative to share, and she was like, oh, I like how they're quiet and listen. And, you know, and it's like, like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to be acceptable, right? But I think it was because they already like them. They don't need a reason to be convinced that they're worthy of being respected and and liked, you know? And so it's that feeling of being in a position where you feel like you have to convince people to like you or earn their approval 
And that's no way for anyone to live, you know? And I mean, people now, they're experiencing the anxiety of that in the social media age. And it's Mm -hmm. all about like earning approval or likes or numbers or followings. And it's like, that's not going to bring you true happiness. Right. And that's a constant level of, yeah, anxious feelings. Mm -hmm. And yeah, actually, that reminds me that you said... So blending in with the local people allowed me to experience what it was like to be overlooked, ignored, and hidden in plain sight. Mm -hmm. God revealed to me that this is how the poor are often treated. They are robbed of their humanity, and it's accompanying value by people who would rather look past them than at them. Mm -hmm. If I had struggled after living with this experience for two years, what must it be like for people who had spent their whole lives in poverty? Yeah. Um, And you said, God showed me how being Indian in India allowed me to incarnate beyond a physical level to an emotional level with the poor. He also showed me how by doing so, I was following Jesus's example of connecting with people. I thought that was so profound. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about, I I guess, like looking back now, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like how did your faith evolve or like how did your, you know, like how did your, how you understood Jesus Mm -hmm. and and Jesus's experience on earth? Yeah. How did you kind of make sense of all that? Yeah. Thanks, Kat. Yeah. I was grateful that God did give me that insight as one of the things I learned having that experience of, you know, you're feeling this way you're living with it for a couple of years. What about all these poor people or, or anybody who lives on the margins that society tends to overlook? Right. They experience this all the time. Mm. And I think that that was one of the revolutionary things about Jesus as a leader who came and was willing to have that same experience with people. Well, yeah. You know, of... Um, being somebody who came from a special place, right? Like for a lot of people in any other part of the world, America is a special place. Mm-hmm. It's like if somebody came from heaven, right? It's like, you know? like rolling my eyes. <laughs> right? yeah. You know? Yeah. And so understandably, because I think there is still a sense in which this country represents hope. Mm-hmm. Hope mm-hmm. for something better for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, like for him to come from heaven and live among the people and have his own family question him. Right. Yeah. Right. Let alone like the people in his community. Mm-hmm. He knew what it was like to come and be rejected by his own. Yeah. That was the other way I felt like I could really relate to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had that experience and there were people who thought he was really special and people who were like, who is this guy? Isn't mm-hmm. this like the son of like Mary and yeah, Joseph, right? Yeah. That teen unwed mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or what good can come from Nazareth. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So he, he got both those reactions and he knew what it was like mm-hmm. to be treated as, as really important and special and to be treated as nothing special at all. Mm-hmm. Or really like an annoyance to be gotten rid of. Right. And especially by the prevailing religious structure of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, oh, he gets it. Mm-hmm. He understands. And I felt like, you know, when, that was one of the things, one of the goals of our team was to go and and be able to incarnate mm-hmm. with the local mm-hmm. people like Jesus did. And that's why we were living among them. And I realized oh, well, if I wanted to incarnate, then I'm getting a, an even deeper level of that oh, because yeah. I'm understanding emotionally what it's like to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. 
and and it was another awakening experience mm. of oh i have so much more compassion now mm. yeah because i know how hard it is mm. to live in the reality of that mm. and i probably don't even know as deep a level as they do because mm. they've been doing it for way longer than i have so it helped me to really feel closer to jesus yeah and also people even in in those neighborhoods that were more marginalized. Like I saw the people who, even the local people who would be considered poor by other people, Mm -hmm. like the people who were poorer than them that Mm -hmm. they overlooked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the the people who come collect the trash or the the people who are really poor and and everybody else just ignores them. Mm And I saw them as like their people and they deserve to be shown compassion and right. love and paid attention to yeah. and seen. Right. So for me, it was also, I think, just having Jesus remind me like there is so much value and potential in each human being. Mm. And we can give each other the gift of really seeing each other mm. if we're willing to stop and take the time to pay attention on any level beyond high and by mm-hmm. mm-hmm. or like not even talking to somebody yeah. just because they're different or or you know sadly if if people think they don't have something to offer because mm-hmm. it's not true right right um i think that goes back to the the idea of like lived experience and like I would argue that marginalized people, like they um, just, their lived experience mm-hmm. is, we, I mean, we have the most to learn from that, right? Yeah. The daily struggle, like um, uh, Ada Maria Sassidia is the mother of Mujerista theology. She, you know, La Lucha, she mm-hmm. calls it, you know, Lo Cotidiano, the everyday. Like yeah. that's where theology is done. That's where God is found, you mm-hmm. know, in the everyday, in the struggle of survival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to experience a taste of that. And I do want to say, um, I know that looking back, you're able to draw, like, some really profound, you know, parallels to Jesus's life. And, and I know you were saying things like, you know, I only went through this for two years, but people have been living their whole lives through this. And, and I just want to say, like, that doesn't take away at yeah. all from what you went through. Because I know it's easy to you know, like when we go through something to say, oh yeah, but people have it worse, you know? Mm-hmm, and I feel sure. like that's something that the church throws around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that you're doing this. I'm yeah. just like, it just made me think of this. Right. I know the church likes to, oh, well, just you have it good. So don't worry, you know, like people have it worse than you. And, yeah. And yeah. That's just a, so abusive, I think in so mm-hmm. many ways. And yeah. And I can only imagine like what, what you went through was at that time. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> like yeah. really hard. And so yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to affirm that and thanks, Kat. Yeah. yeah, actually, that that reminds me. Like, thanks for saying that because right. I think that's totally true. Yeah, you know that no one deserves to be minimized. Right. You know, yeah. and your each experience has value. Exactly. Um. And so, and one of the things I wanted to mention that I forgot about living in that time and season was. I remember after about a year of being there, I came to this breaking point Mm -hmm. where I told God, either you need to change me or the situation, but I don't think I can keep going Mm -hmm. if things stay the same because I was struggling with the loneliness and isolation Mm -hmm. so much. 
And I remember calling my mom Mm -hmm. that day and telling her, I need you to pray for me because I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay here. And even though I'd made like a two-year commitment, you know, Mm -hmm. and then that night I had this time of listening in prayer with God and, you know, I I felt like I could be completely honest with him. And I, Mm -hmm. I told him that I, I need you to tell me something or change something because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can stay. Mm And I remember I just heard him speaking to me Mm -hmm. and saying, I know why you feel hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want you to know that until now, Satan was inviting you to play the blame game, Mm -hmm. to blame the local people for doing things that were hurtful for you or for not understanding who I've made you to be Mm -hmm. and to and blaming yourself for not being different or being who being somebody the local people would approve of Mm -hmm. you know or giving them what they were looking for Mm -hmm. but he told me I want you to know that for the local people they're reacting to you the way they are because they're coming from this history and cultural DNA of um, the caste system and categorizing Mm -hmm. people and they have a category for foreigners and mm. local people. Okay. And you don't fit any of those boxes. Mm. Yeah. You're a foreigner, but you look yeah. exactly like them, but you sound wow. like yeah. a foreigner. Um, so they don't know how to treat you yeah. or respond yeah. to you. You totally to blow you. all their boxes. Right. 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 And you're married to a white man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? all, all the things going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, And then I felt him telling me, and you don't have to be anyone different Mm -hmm. than who I made you to be. I don't want you to change yourself because you're exactly the way I want you to be. I made you this way because it makes me happy. Right. And so that was so affirming. Right. And then I felt him um, telling me, I totally understand why you've been hurt because you left a place where I had felt loved by my parents mm-hmm. and family and friends, a place where I felt like I had meaning and significance. I left a job where I felt competent and capable mm-hmm. and relationships where I felt valued. And he was saying, you know, all those things gave you value. Mm-hmm. And now that you've been stripped of them, mm-hmm. you feel like you don't have any value. Yeah. But one of the things he told me was, I allowed that to happen so you would know how to root your entire identity and value in me so that even if those things were given to you again Mm -hmm. and taken away at some point again, at that time you would not be crushed like you are now because your identity would be rooted in me. Mm -hmm. And those things can help, Mm -hmm. but they're not what give me value. It's what he says about me and thinks about me. So that was super formational for me. And and then he went on to, to invite me to basically, I read a book while I was there mm-hmm. that talked about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I realized even though I had grown up in the church and knew about the importance of forgiveness, I'd never known mm-hmm. what steps mm-hmm. to take and how exactly that looked. And so I ended up sharing like all the names with him. I asked him to bring to mind all the people who I had felt hurt by. Mm-hmm. And then I shared exactly what they did to hurt me. Mm. 
And then I told him, I'm choosing to forgive them and releasing that to you and trusting you to heal me. Mm. And like by the end of two hours, I'd gone through all the names in the situations and I felt my heart lighten, like this burden had been lifted off of me. And I realized, oh, that's what it means to forgive. That's what the process looks like. And it's not to say like, sometimes you might have to pray multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Like some hurts are deeper than others and right. it, um, you might need more time to yeah. process that. So it's not to say it's always instantaneous, right. but it was that willingness to choose to acknowledge one, that those things were hurtful exactly, yeah. and then to give that, to choose to release that to mm-hmm. him. And so that's why it reminded me of that when you said, you know, whether you experienced it for two years or of a lifetime, it still matters. I realized before what had hindered my efforts in forgiveness were that I had tried to sweep it under the rug or mm. say, oh, it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, but that's not true. Like our, we get through our pain by acknowledging the truth of it Yes, amen. before we can let it go. Cause we can't let go something we haven't said is there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's so good. Um, the last thing I kind of want to talk about is that you, and we talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but I just want to um, circle back that you talk about, you, you know, obviously listening is like something that you do yeah. and it's like a spiritual discipline that you, that you have found that kind of guides your life. <laughs> and I know throughout our conversation, you've mentioned like God told me, you were like, I was listening to this. So if you want to just give listeners just like a quick, what is what does it look like for you to listen? Mm-hmm. Like what is your practice of listening yeah. or discipline of listening and yeah if you want to just look quick a little you know how does that work for you yeah yeah that's a great question so the way I practice most often is I will be still that works for me and so I will find some place to be alone and sit or sometimes I lie down and then I'll just tell God okay God I'm I want to make this time to specifically focus on you and your voice and please speak to me what you want me to hear or what you want me to know and give me your wisdom and discernment and then I will take whatever time usually I I'll give myself an an allotted time like 30 minutes Mm -hmm. or an hour Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I'll do it for two or three hours. And then at the end of the allotted time, I'll just say, you know, thank you, God, for giving me this time to be with you and listen. Mm. I'm sorry for any times I was distracted, Mm. but I know your word can reach me through anything, Mm. including distraction. Mm -hmm. And I pray that you would plant it deep in my heart and cause it to grow deep roots Mm and bear beautiful fruit that lasts for you. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically the practice I do the most often. I I start out by just inviting him to tell me, say or do whatever he wants, Mm -hmm. take that time to be still and listen. And then I pray that after affirming, like I know your voice can Mm -hmm. reach me through anything and um, plant it deep in me and have it grow what you want it to. Right. So you would say it's like a meditative uh, sort of time. Yeah. And then, um, you know, do you receive, like you would say, like you receive like words or like affirmations. And then, um, 
because I know like when I think of like God speaking to me it mm-hmm. might um, yeah happen in situations like where something might come up a, a couple times yeah. or I might be reading something or you know something will just really like stand you know stand out to right. me and, and, yeah. and so and of course like as someone who loves to write I know that you know we're both writers mm-hmm. and that'll you know I'll open a word document and like all right I'm gonna you know I want to talk about this and yeah. then I'll save it and then I'll go you know go back to it right and, and so I have like 10 of those open yeah <laughs> little words and I'm like I've been thinking about this right um so yeah so I what I was gonna say is that like I know for me it kind of happens throughout Mm -hmm. all day right yeah oh this let me write this down you know I have like 20 notes on my phone yeah Um, but during that like time of meditation are you listening for just like a word or a sentence or a vision or something like that okay yeah so that's yeah that's a great question like Basically, it's however he wants to Mm -hmm. communicate. So people will sometimes ask, like, do you hear an audible voice or something? And Mm -hmm. it's it's more that I sense something or, Mm -hmm. you know, get a word or thought in my mind. But yeah, during like sometimes I don't hear anything at all Mm -hmm. during those times. Mm -hmm. But I just have this feeling that he's working anyway. Um, And if there is something he wants me to know, Mm -hmm. whether I hear it in that time Mm -hmm or later he'll give it to me and help me to receive it when he knows I'm ready to Mm -hmm. be aware of it Mm -hmm. or receive it so I totally agree with you like Mm -hmm. I think for my whole life I try to have a listening stance of like Mm -hmm. I do believe that God can communicate to us Mm -hmm. anytime anywhere whether we're talking or listening in a conversation with somebody watching tv Mm -hmm. Um, going about our day, doing chores. I mean, I've had many times where I'm like doing the dishes and then all of a sudden I know something and I know like Mm -hmm. it's from him, you know? And so, or I'm watching a movie and something stands out Mm -hmm. to me or reading something and it's like, oh, he wanted me to know that, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Like we can invite him to speak to us anytime, you know? And from the moment we wake up, even like, when we're sleeping I totally believe God can speak to us while we're sleeping right and so I think he can do it anytime Mm -hmm. and the more we kind of like invite him in and Mm -hmm. ask him to show us or help us pay attention Mm -hmm. I think we can all grow and get better at it Mm -hmm. but yeah I that's just like one of the times I like to do to like specifically focus but I think for others if they have a hard time being still it might help them to do it while they're walking or hiking or other things like for some people it's hard to be still and they need to listen while they're moving Mm -hmm. you know and so it's kind of for each person Mm -hmm. getting in touch with the way you're made Mm -hmm. and what works for you yeah that's good yeah awesome okay well thank you so much for this and if you want to tell people like what you're working on and like your website and yeah all that kind of stuff before we go yeah thank you so much Kat so I mentioned that I have this book of spiritual essays that I put together called living in the thin space Mm -hmm. and so I'm currently looking at different publishing options for that Mm -hmm. and then I have um I'm starting my own website called Mm minipalmer.com And I'm going to have my podcast available on that. Yeah, thanks, Kat. And you were one of the people who inspired me to start that. (laughs) So thank you so much for that. And um, it's going to be called The Ocean in a Drop. So um, I'd love if people want to check it out. And if you want to 
contact me. You can contact me at my email, palmermini at gmail.com if you're interested in any of those projects or spiritual direction or talking about any of the things we mentioned today. So, awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. This was so good. Yeah, thank you that. so much, Kat. Yeah.